There's two types of people out there. How many of you are the top type? You don't like having those notifications showing, you got to clear them out. If I see a red dot, it vexes me. Got to go through it, clear it out, make sure there's you know, nothing as nice as no notifications. But some of you are the second type. Who of you here can endure the red dots? Yeah, a lot, the funny thing is a lot of times the top type and the bottom type, they marry each other. I can't look at my wife's phone. It troubles me. I, I mean, I got to have it cleared out. No notifications. It's, but sometimes, though, even though you're clearing it out, you're looking at stuff, deleting the junk, going through it. You ever bury something in your inbox? You know, you, it comes up. You're like, okay, this is going to be important. I need to know it. I'm going to want this later, but I'm not going to deal with it right this second. I mean, nowadays we're getting all, a lot of those emails, you know, the, the uh, tax information click here to download. You getting those? Yep. When you finally decide to deal with it in a month, where'd that email go? It's what we call burying it in the inbox. All the new stuff comes in, just piles up on top of it. It's important, but you maybe didn't do anything with it. Somebody's trying to tell you something. You may not be listening. Now, we've been going over a lot of parables, and we're going to keep going over a lot of parables. And Jesus tells some very complex parables and some very, very simple ones. And sometimes he'll mix them up. You know, he'll tell a simple one and then a complex one. And right after a fairly complex one, the one we talked about last week, Parable of the Sower, we find a much simpler parable, at least shorter. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Jesus changes it up right on the heels of a parable, a story, where he's talking about farming. Now he uses a much simpler image for us, the image of light. It's not as direct a parable as we see in Matthew. You are the light of the world. That's simple, it's easy, it's straight, it's to the point. But we understand this idea of the image of light. Light helps us see, it shines out. And it's often used to refer to the teachings of Jesus, and that's how he's using it here. And he's telling those who follow him something very important about his teachings. Now I'll warn you, even though this is a fairly easy parable to read, it's a little harder to understand. You see, Jesus' parables, sometimes you pick up on them, Nice piece of cake, got it. Sometimes it's like, okay, I'm not sure what he was pointing at with this. But he's talking about his teachings and about receiving them. And he, point, he says, you know, light, that's my teachings. 
And one important thing about the light, light is going to be seen. You buy a light, you place a light because you want light, right? Any of you ever have that dark corner in the house? You know, we need a lamp right there. And then you realize finding the right lamp is nowhere near as easy as you think. Our pantry in the kitchen was kind of the forgotten corner. It's small, it's deep, there's no light right outside it. I mean, if you went in, more often than not, over the last, what, 16 years we've lived in that house, I've had to go to the pantry with a flashlight in hand. Finally, a few weeks ago, I found a battery-powered light with a remote control. It's glorious. You walk up to it, pink light. You can actually find the right seasoning. It's glorious. We didn't put it in there because we liked it dark. It would have been stupid for me to spend the time getting the light in there, getting it level, making it all just so, and then painting the lens on the light so none of it escapes. Pointless, right? Doesn't happen. We install lights because we want to see something. The light is supposed to go somewhere. It's supposed to accomplish something, get something done. Now, Jesus has just explained to his disciples the purpose of parables. When he was giving that parable to the sower, he takes his disciples and he says, here's why I teach it, why I teach like this. He told these stories to conceal meaning. Not to illustrate, but more so that uninterested parties would ignore it. But interested hearers would understand. The people who would follow Jesus, some of them were truly hungry for the things of God. They wanted to grow closer to God. And when they'd hear Jesus tell these stories, they'd know there's truth in it. And they'd say, okay, what's the point he's getting across to us? And they'd invest themselves in it. And they would find out the truth. Others, meanwhile, when they followed Jesus, they wanted a show. You know, that dude on crutches, they wanted to see him dance. Sometimes they did, and they'd come out, and they'd see Jesus heal the lame or the blind, and they wow, this is pretty cool stuff. And then Jesus would tell one of these weird stories, and like, eh, Jesus is getting strange again. Just goes in one ear, out the other. They're not paying much attention to that, because they're not there for that. And Jesus is saying, he teaches this way so that the people who want to hear, they get the truth. People who don't, they won't. Now remember I said this is one of the more more harder to understand parables. Sometimes you will find Jesus teaching something. What does he mean here? Quick way to, to help yourself understand what Jesus is saying. Hit rewind. Back up to the beginning of the parable. Or maybe sometimes Jesus will string several parables together. you got to go to the beginning of those. What started all of this? What's the back and forth that brought this teaching out? And when you understand that, you can see, okay, here's the train of thought. Jesus has just said, I teach this way so that some people will get it and some won't. But now he's explaining that when he teaches... They may not understand, but they will get it in time. Because when he says, nothing's hidden 
that won't be found out. That almost sounds a little end times-ish to us. Because there's statements about the judgment that actions that are done in secret will be revealed. We cannot hide anything from God. You can't go home and close the door and hide it so God never sees. It doesn't work that way. And we might think that's what he's talking about. Not really, because at no point in this conversation is Jesus talking about that final judgment or that end times type of thing. He's talking about accepting the teachings of Jesus. He's saying that for a time his teachings will be concealed, but eventually all will be revealed. Yeah, when Jesus was here running around teaching things, not everybody understood him. In the Gospel of Mark, you know, each of the four Gospels, you get a slightly different uh, perspective on Jesus. It's kind of like you don't really know a person until you know them in different contexts, from different angles. So we get Matthew, where Jesus is the Jewish Messiah of prophecy. We get Luke, where Jesus is you know, this historical figure. We get John, where we learn about Jesus from one of his closest friends here on earth, and we see Jesus' humanity on clear display, even as John tells us he's also God. And then in Mark, Jesus is the man of mystery. I don't mean like secret agent guy. I mean nobody gets him. The disciples don't get him. Nobody really understands anything. Because every time Jesus does something, everybody's just like, what's going on here? But eventually, the truth comes out. Eventually, everybody gets it. Eventually, these people that Jesus is preparing, he's been teaching his disciples, he's revealing to them the things of heaven, they get it, finally. Takes them a while. I mean, you read the Gospels, you think, man, is anybody on this earth slower on the uptake than the 12 disciples? I think we need to cut them a little bit of slack because I'm not sure we'd have been much better if we were there then either. You know, we're looking back with benefit of a couple thousand years of perspective. We've got the Holy Spirit living in us, guiding us into Christ's truth. So let's not get too on you know, too rough on, you know, Peter, James, John, and the rest. But as Jesus is preparing these guys, eventually they get it. And eventually that teaching is made very plain and it spreads throughout the entire earth. That time will come when it will be revealed to all. And that time came. And now his teachings are out there. He, Jesus had a very specific mission to accomplish during his time on earth. He came with a very clear sense of mission. And he got it done. While he was working, he taught a group of friends who had spread that message after his death. Then he died to forgive sins. He rose again to prove the truth of his words and to show the promise of eternal life. That's what he was doing. There's a lot of other things he could have done while he was on earth, but that was really the core. To teach, to die, and to live again. And Jesus is saying his teachings are our light. These teachings exist so we can know them. The truth was hidden, but now it is evident. God has sent his light. He put it on a stand so we could see it. He made it evident and plain. God's kingdom has been illuminated for our benefit. He has sent us a message. 
And Jesus was pointing out, this light is going to be seen. But it's not just that it will be seen, the light also must be seen. There's one more statement here in this, and it almost seems cruel. Those who have will get more, those without will lose what they have. Did Jesus really just say the rich will get richer and the poor will get poorer? Well, that's pretty regressive, Jesus. He's not talking about economics here. He's talking about a fact of spiritual life. See, this statement is very similar to what we find in Luke 19 with the parable of the talents. We're eventually going to get there. Not today. But here it comes on the heels of the parable of the sower. It descri- that parable describes how people receive the teachings of Jesus. Remember, okay, this is a strange statement. How do we take it? What do we do? What do we hit? Rewind. Back it up. He was talking about parable of the sower. Here's how people receive Jesus' teachings. And then we find those who have get more, those who don't lose what they have. And yeah, this is troubling and it should be. Sometimes, friends, reality can be troubling. Just because it ain't happy don't mean it ain't true. Sometimes the most important truths are not happy, nice ones. This tells us what happens when we do or do not respect and follow Jesus' teachings. Those who have, get more. If you hear Jesus, you follow Jesus, you find yet more spiritual truth. That which begins as a spiritual seed becomes an absolute embarrassment of spiritual riches. You know, you can become so financially wealthy, it's hard to spend all your money. You get some of these people, they have hundreds of millions, billions of dollars. Man, even if you invest that very conservatively, you know, you've got a fortune that's growing at tens and tens of millions of dollars a year. How do you even spend that? You can supersize every value meal. And you're not going to come close to blowing through it all. I mean, there's only so many super yachts a person can buy. Eventually, you're just compounding it. Folks, that's the way it works with spiritual riches as well. In Bible study circles, we have this thing called the hermeneutical spiral. Hermeneutics, it's a nice 50-cent word that refers, that means, what it means is the, the art and science of studying the Bible. There's a whole list of rules, whole procedure. I mean, Bible college, you take classes on it. You can always tell, you know, the sophomores and juniors when they're in the hermeneutics courses because they start getting this thousand-yard stare. And the folks that, when they showed up their freshman year, they're like, I just want to meet know Jesus, and I just want to help people meet Jesus. And then they find out what you got to do to make that happen. And reality sets in. And all these poor Bible college students are in the library with big, thick books. 
Even one of them is called the little kittle, and that sucker's about this thick. <laughs> yeah, Will, you know what that, exactly what I'm talking about here. Yeah. The big kittle's a whole shelf. In the theological dictionary of the New Testament. Yep, that's heavy-duty stuff. But as we study the Bible, things change. What we find is that Christ's teachings are truly amazing because you never exhaust the truth. Even what is a relatively simple verse, you know, take John 3.16, a child can memorize it. An elementary school student can grasp it. And the most learned Bible scholars will never exhaust it. And that's because of this hermeneutical spiral. You see, you sit down, you want to study the Bible. Okay, great, going to study the Bible, wonderful. You study, okay, study this passage. Interesting thing happens when you study the Bible. When you study the Bible and you learn God's truth, it changes you. You cannot come to God's word and invest yourself in it without God's word getting into you, shaping you, changing you. So when you're done studying that passage, you ain't the same person that you were when you started. And let's say a while later you come back and you sit down to study this passage again. And before you had found some great truths in that passage, you had uncovered some wonderful things. But you're not the same person sitting down that second time. So when you look at it, you know what happens? You find more truth. Stuff that you hadn't even thought of. And when you learn the truth of God, what happens? It changes you. So you sit down to study that same passage a third time, and you're not the same person again. And so on and so forth it goes. I've been preaching the Bible for twenty seven years. Middle of this year it'll be twenty eight. Folks, I am still sitting down to work on a sermon and finding stuff there on passages that I have preached three, four, five times before, and I'm still finding new stuff. I can't just mail it in. If I go and dig up an old sermon and I use that again, man, I'm like, man, I ain't going to use this. This isn't any good. I pity the people that had to hear this. <laughs> Why? Because the Bible changes us. Those who seek Christ and dwell on his teachings and follow him earnestly, they're continually seeking more and they're finding it. Friends, this is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It is a continual desire to be more like him, to know him better. And if we do that, we find what we seek. We find Christ, more Christ. Every time. Yeah, you have to have some spiritual insight to start seeking Jesus. And if you have enough to start seeking Jesus, you get more and more and more. And next thing you know, you have an untold wealth of spiritual riches. Then, but you still understand there is yet so much more to go. Because just like anybody who learns anything, the more you learn, the more you learn you don't know. But on the other hand, those who don't have, lose what they have. They may hear, but they don't follow up. They don't give it priority. They let it get buried in their inbox. 
What was a potentially useful spiritual seed is starved and it withers and dies and they're left with nothing. Again, remember, hit rewind. Parable of the sower. How many, se- how many types of soils were there? Four of them. How many resulted in not a single crop? Three. Those who ignore Christ or allow his teachings to wither within them will find themselves without anything spiritual at all. If we say, you know, I've heard the message, that's good enough, I don't need much more. I just want to be spiritual. I don't care about being religious, I just want to be spiritual. I'd like a little bit of God. Just a little slice of God. Enough so that I know that this isn't the only all there is. I don't want to be materialistic. I don't want to live just in this world. I want to know that there's more, but I want it to stop there. I don't want it to change me. I don't want it to shape me. I don't want to have to do anything different. I want just a little bit of God, please. Well, that which is not nurtured and growing is going to shrink, wither, and die. That which we thought was enough, we eventually won't care when it goes away at all. Funny thing about plants, if it's not growing and flourishing, it's dying or dead. If we don't see the light of Christ, if we're not seeking it, paying attention to it, incorporating it into our lives, we are going to lose what little we have. You are either moving closer to Christ or farther away from Christ. You never can get to a point where you say, that's enough Jesus for me. I'm going to throw it in the park and stop here. I've got enough Jesus that I think I'm saved, but not so much that I have to do anything. Just a little bit of Jesus, thanks. Friends, God gave us Christ's message that we might follow him. Not that we can put it on a shelf. He's talking about God gives us this light of Jesus. He didn't do it so we can throw it in a closet that it never illuminates our life. What's that? That's the Jesus closets where we keep his light. Well, the room's dark. Why don't you open the door? That's a little much, don't you think? How silly would it be to buy a lamp and lock it in a room? The hidden things of Jesus are revealed for our use and for our benefit. So when Jesus speaks, do we listen or do we just let it rot in our inbox? Do we hide it away or do we take action? Do we seek him? Well, yes would be a better answer. Ain't just comedians that get hecklers. (laughs) What Jesus is trying to get across to us is to listen carefully to Jesus. He brought these teachings. He went to all this trouble. You think it ought to mean something. Well, we got to listen. What's it mean to listen carefully? Well, understand this, friends. You're responsible for what you know. Sometimes I've seen memes on the internet. Oh, I wanted to know how to do taxes. 
But all I learned in school is the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Like, I knew you in high school. You didn't care about doing taxes. Cared about hitting on the cheerleader in the next row. I mean, nobody understands taxes, not even the IRS. You ain't going to get that in public school. But they taught us math. They taught us how to read. They gave us the basic blocks of understanding things. What did you do with it? Friends, you can't sit back and complain that nobody forced you to learn. Well, the church failed me growing up. I was there every couple of months. Look, you can be here every week, and if all you ever get is what I am saying to you during the sermon, I hate to say it, you're not going to get much. Are you well-fed if you go out for a five-star meal once a week and that's it? That's an eating disorder. God has made Christ's truth evident to us. If we close our eyes and our ears to it, that's our choice to do it. It's there. We got the truth in front of us. We have unprecedented access to the things of Christ today. You know, there's places on this earth where mere possession of a Bible will get you killed. You can go into most any store and buy one here. You can whip out your phone, download a Bible app right now. We have access to so much. The light is there. It's up to us. And we need to put in the effort, put in the effort. Having heard the message, what do we do with it? Be crazy, wouldn't it? What happened to your leg? Oh, I banged it on the table in the dark. Oh, really? Light bulb out? No, the lights were on. What happened? I closed my eyes. Are you okay? Don't do drugs, kids. You're going to think something's wrong with that person, right? That They close their eyes so they can't see. That's how crazy it is for us to ignore the teachings of Christ. What do we do with it? Are we choosing spiritual poverty with our apathy? I'm a proud member of Generation X. Gen X, the most apathetic group this world has ever seen. Our word is whatever. I mean, we're not just overlooked by people. I, I, I laugh along with all of my compatriots. When you see a list of, you know, all, here's all the generations, and they always forget Gen X, and we're like, figures. But what we said, whatever. You ain't worth arguing with. You do what you're going to do, whatever, dude. That's us. We're pretty apathetic. But I tell you what, if you're apathetic about the wrong things, you're going to have a real bad time. Sometimes you got to care. Do we become apathetic about the light of Christ, or instead do we find spiritual riches with our yearning? Do we decide... Oh, I'm paying attention to what God says. The truth is there for us. Are we going to do anything with it? Do we, are we going to care?
Yeah, there's a lot of things going on in this world, and we can get pretty busy. But if God's word is true, and I firmly believe it is, friends, there is not one other thing in this world that will last you into the next. There's a lot of good things you can spend time doing. Only following Christ will lead to eternal life. Because if we listen to him, if we yearn for him, if we seek him, friends, we're going to find him. And when we find him, we find everything. What are we going to do with it? It's time to pick. Stand with me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you do for us. We praise you for you are great. You are holy. You have given us your truth. Lord, build in us that desire to seek you, to obey you, to know you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.